0: Good morning. We are continuing our study in the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15 today. It's the the, the sort of picture, if you will, of, of uh, what I call connectionalism, it's this idea of churches and leaders coming together for a purpose. Um, Up to this point, we've been following Paul and Barnabas in their missionary journey. They've gone to uh, Antioch, and from Antioch they went to to, uh, Cyprus, and from Cyprus they went up to... I'm sorry they went to Crete and from Crete they went up to, uh, to Asia Minor and they went around Asia Minor to all those various cities they got kicked out and stoned and uh, they traveled around sharing the gospel they headed back to Antioch where they shared the joy of the gospel when they came back to Antioch uh, there was a group uh, from Judea who came and in the words of the, in the Galatians we read about it they said they came to spy on them uh, there were some concerns about what Paul and Barnabas were doing among the Gentiles, And that brings us to our text, uh, because we, we get a picture now into what's going on, the, the, di- the division, the debate that's going to happen within this church. And just as an aside, uh, debates in churches have been going on since the very beginning. Uh, that's a sad truth, uh, but it's a reality. Um, but having said that, I think that there is so much good that comes out of these debates. In fact, if you were to go over church history, you would see one creed after another that helped to codify and express our Christian faith. And so, as we consider this sort of tragedy, we also have to realize, uh, in some way, God uses it to help strengthen and build His church. So, with that, let's look at Acts chapter 15. We're going to just read the first 21 verses. This is really a 2 two-part sermon. We're going to look at the first uh, half of, uh, we're going to look at the Jerusalem Council. We'll look at the effects of the Jerusalem Council next week. This week I want to focus just on sort of the nature of the Council, what's going on. Next week I want to focus on what theology they were debating, what the, the was the issue at hand. So we'll, we'll touch on those things this week, but we'll look in depth at them next week and sort of the effects of the Council and, as they move forward. So with that, let's read God's Word. Uh, Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. "'But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, "'Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved.' who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that is Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his own name. And with this the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, after this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by name, called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble but those of the Gentiles to turn to God. But should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For the ancient generations, Moses had in every city. Uh, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would help us to understand it this morning, that you would uh, enliven our hearts, encourage us, uh, and strengthen your church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my dad and I were recently talking, and he re- told a story to me. I think he's told it to me a few times now, but he just told it to me again the other day. Uh, It was about my grandfather, the one who you just heard about planted, uh, or the one, the church you just heard about in Coventry. He planted this church. But before that, um, he was a pastor for many years and a churchman. Uh, He was somebody who cared deeply about the church. Uh, he was somebody who brought many various voices together. And there was, in the, pre, the pre-days of the PCA in the north, so the PCA was a southern denomination, but even before the PCA was fully formed in the south, there was another denomination that my family, my dad was a member of, uh, called the RPCES, the Reformed Presbyterian Church Evangelical Synod. You don't need to know much about it. But they were having a debate at presbytery, and it was a debate over the use of alcohol. Now, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you know that this can be, or historically has been, a contentious debate. I think it's less and less so as time moves on, but for many years it was the norm that churches would be teetotaling. well, the, the, the debate was whether it was wrong to drink alcohol. Now, um, I'm going to leave that debate aside, but I'll tell you what, the, what the, the at least to talk about it, but I will tell you, tell you that the, the presbytery voted very narrowly to allow freedom of conscience in the use of alcohol something that we continue to this day as our denomination holds to. But there was one man on the opposite side of the aisle who was deeply grieved. He thought it was the thing that would break the church. He was deeply grieved. And after the, the meeting, my, my grandfather went out to the to the foyer or whatever, and they were talking, and his friend was... He came alongside this man, and he was a friend of my grandfather's. Uh, and my grandfather... He turned to my grandfather and said, I don't know that I can be in a denomination that allows drinking. And my grandfather turned to him, put his arm around him and said, I don't want to be in a denomination of which you are not a part. And I thought, there's a picture, it's like two men who differed on this one issue but came together as friends and he was drawing this man back in to say, how can we still be the church? Now I relay that story, a little bit long of a story, but I relay that story to urge you as the church of God here to constantly and continually contend for the faith together for the gospel. That we as a church would be, not that we wouldn't have our disagreements, but that we would work together for unity, for purity, for the faith, for the gospel. That's the the cry, that we could be uh, godly fighters in that sense, in the best sense of the word. Um, And I think that's what's going on here in the text. So, I want to open this up in a couple ways, and I realize I, I want to be sensitive to time, so I may rush a few points here and there, but uh, I, I, want to, I want to open this up in, the fir- in a few ways. The first way is I just want to say, let's contend together for the gospel because we are human. What do I mean by that? Because we are human, that's very, <laughs> it's a very broad statement, because we are human. Uh, there are two realities that are that not one of us can escape. Two realities. One is, we are limited. We're limited. We're limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our experience. We are limited in our capacity and our ability, just as human beings. We are limited. Psalm 8 says these words. It says, what is man, the the psalmist cries out, says, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man, uh, that you care for him? And there, the word man is two different words in the Hebrew. One is uh, just the general word for man. Uh, and, or one of the general, there's quite a few of them, but one of the general words for man that really gets at sort of the dust nature of our, of our being, of mankind. That we are, by nature, here today, gone tomorrow. That we are frail. That we are people that are uh, uh, not, not omnicompetent. Just, just a, a reminder. Not omnipowerful. We don't have all understanding or all ability. We can't grasp all things. We are by nature frail beings. It's interesting the Apostle Paul and, and Barnabas, when they, uh, are, they come back to Antioch and they're faced with this debate, uh, they can't resolve it amongst themselves. They try. It says that there was vigorous debate. You read here in verse 1 and 2, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised, etc. And it goes on and says, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. In other words, have you ever been in a debate like that? This goes round and round and round, and it's unresolvable. Partly because we're frail. We're frail. We're limited in our capacity. But the second part of that man in Psalm 8, what is the son of man uh, that you care for him, is the word Adam. That's, That's a word for man, Adam, Adam. And in that word Adam is all the history of the first man, including what? Not just his frailty, but his brokenness and sin. We're limited as humans. We're also sinful. Sometimes it's really hard to see our own sin. Right? it 's hard to recognize that we are broken. Uh, the issue here at hand in this text is that it's the issue of circumcision and the law. What, what were we to do with the Greek converts that came the, the Gentile converts that came into the, into the church? Did they have to become Jewish first? Did they have to go through that process of circumcision and then keep all of the various ceremonial laws? That was the question at hand. We'll look more specifically at that next week, but I just want to highlight that there was uh, at issue a sin issue. for both parties for the Jewish party they were saying it's sinful for them to come into our midst unclean uncircumcised that's how they viewed it for them, it was it was a it was a bridge too far. They have they are breaking down barriers that shouldn't be broken down. And on the other side, for Paul and for, for Barnabas, there was a sin issue that you were bringing a yoke of burden upon the people. Uh, uh, that is that is going backwards, forgetting about that we are saved, forgetting the fact that we are saved by grace alone through faith. This was at heart the issue. These these two competing cries. And, and the reality is, we're sinners, as humans. Now, who it was that was sinning, I think, will be clearly uh, uh, laid out for us in the rest of the passage. We, we see this later on down the road. Um, but, but at the very least, I just want us to realize that there are realities that, that, that we cannot escape, that we are limited, and that we are sinners. And I don't want to think that it's just the circumcision party alone that struggled with sin. Peter, who agrees with Paul in our text, we know later on that when those folks came up from uh, Judea, that even though he agreed in principle with Paul, didn't want to be seen eating with the unclean Gentiles. And Paul has to confront him to his face over this issue. Peter's a sinner. Paul himself had a conflict with Barnabas over John Mark later on that reflected the kind of stubbornness that we see in Paul. And I wonder if part of the problem here, that, the, that, that there was uh, in this round and round debate, this ongoing debate, that there was... Uh, A personality challenge, too. They wouldn't listen to Paul. I don't know. I'm I'm just guessing. But Paul, we know, of course, is a sinner. These are truths uh, that we are limited and sinful. And maybe this seems obvious. Um, but it also challenges some of our deeply held cultural ideas about humanity and ourselves. Uh, they challenge our very American ideal, that we are autonomous, that we are rugged individuals, that we don't need others, that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that we are strong in and of ourselves, that we have the capacity to reason all things, that we don't need outside authorities or other people telling us what to do. Now, I, I, that's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean. We unwittingly seat ultimate judgment of most things in ourselves, in the individual. It's what we do. It's by nature. We, we tend to put authority into, I'm the, I'm the arbiter. I'm the one who has to determine things. That we set ourselves up as the final court of appeal. Now, I want to suggest that because we're human, because we have limitations on top of that, and that we're sinful, uh, we need one another. We need one another as I just pointed out, the, 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 the round and round that was going on with Paul and Barnabas, uh, here they were in Antioch, going at this debate, hammer and tongs, these men from, with these men from Judea. Um, it seems clear that the debate was going nowhere. Yet at some point, someone said, We need more voices. We aren't told who said that. We're just told that they appointed uh, Paul and Barnabas to go down to Jerusalem uh, to go meet with the elders and the apostles there. Uh, somebody at some point recognized the need. And I think it's a need we all have. Now, it may rub us a little bit the wrong way when authorities step in and tell us the way things are, right? We want to be able to solve things on our own. It, it, this, again, goes against our sort of American impulses of autonomy and individualism. Um, when I was a, a, a community group leader at a church many years ago, uh, we, had a, we had, Aaron and I, had the community group that went a little bit rogue. Um, it was we were young and the the community group was just doing its own thing and they were they were doing some things so all, the the leadership caught wind of sort of the rogueness of our community group and then by divine fiat told us this is what we're going to study I, I know how you're feeling right now you're like what are they doing that um, and that was the exact response that my community group had and so i would have to imbibe the study, regurgitate it in my own words. That was my approach. I was young, a little bit naive. The point is that we don't often like this concept of of there being authorities or, or people that might tell us how it is or the way it is. For Paul and Barnabas, maybe it was a relief to bring this issue to Jerusalem, but maybe there was a tinge of frustration too. They no doubt felt that they were in the right. Paul was an apostle He was an apostle. They were not listening to him, and yet he was an apostle. You you can kind of get into Paul's head a little bit. So why didn't they just listen to me? Why do we need to go to Jerusalem? I don't know. I'm I'm projecting. text doesn't say that. I'm just postulating that as a, a potential. But the reality is that sometimes things are unresolvable because of those truths. We're limited in our knowledge, and we're sinful. This obviously applies in all sorts of situations, right? It applies in work, it applies in marriage, it applies in school, and it certainly applies in the church. Sometimes we just need another ear and another voice, another uh, another perspective. And more than that, what we need is wise and godly counsel. Wise and godly ears and voices that can speak into the situation, that can cut through the issues to give good counsel and make wise judgments. And all the things that, that that and of all the things that need right judgment and wisdom are things that pertain to the heart of the gospel. And that's that's the issue here. And we're going to look at that in depth next week. But at the heart of the debate was, what was necessary to be included, to be counted as the people of God? What was required of people? Paul and Barnabas argued that the grace of God through faith alone was necessary. And these men from Judea were arguing that the grace of God through faith plus circumcision and obedience to the law was necessary. Now... There is a a Protestant impulse uh, called a Berean impulse. We'll look at the Bereans later on in the book of Acts. But there is a Protestant or Berean impulse that... Uh, says that we are equipped with the Holy Spirit and are able to interpret Scripture rightly. And, And I think there's something there that's very, very good. But along with that impulse is an equally dangerous impulse which says, me and my Bible is all that I need. That's a dangerous impulse. Yes, God gives us His Spirit, but He also gives us one another. As a church... And particularly, he gives gifts to various people. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that he is, God gives us some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be uh, evangelists and pastors and teachers to do what? To equip the church for the work of the ministry. He gives various gifts to the church for that very purpose. Friends, I'm, I know I'm belaboring this point. It might seem pretty obvious, but it's so essential. We need one another. We need wise, godly, Leaders appointed to help us not only resolve conflict, but to contend for, fight for the truth of the gospel, to maintain it. Why? Because we're limited in our ability and are sinful in ways we don't even always understand. Second thing I just want to note uh, is that we ought to contend together for the gospel because it is true. Content for the gospel because it is true. Paul and Barnabas travel to Jerusalem. Um, it's interesting. En route. They're headed down. They're in the midst of fighting. They've just come from vigorous debate. They're about to go into the vigorous debate at the Council of Jerusalem. But en route, they take a little pit stop in Phoenicia and in Samaria. And what do they do? They share the joy of the work that has already been going on. I just think it's an interesting thing that their joy was not disturbed. So often, isn't it the case that when we enter into conflict, we forget all the good things that are going on? We lose perspective. But here, Paul and Barnabas, they're ready to go into a fight. They've just left a fight, but they're still excited about what the Lord is doing. They haven't lost perspective. The world wasn't coming to an end. They recognized that there were some serious matters that needed to be debated. But they found joy. They found joy. And when they get there, this is also remarkable, they're welcomed. I think there's a principle underlying this that shouldn't be missed. As someone who's been to many contentious meetings at Presbytery and things like this council, or even within congregations, I realize how passions can flare. I've been there. I've uh, been in that place where I don't know how to talk to that person before or after the conflict. Remember my grandfather. It was a contentious debate. I don't doubt that this man was vociferously arguing against the use of alcohol. And I don't doubt that my grandfather said, brother, it's a, it's a liberty of conscience issue. I don't doubt that those two things were going on and that my grandfather might have spoken words that could have cut this person to the heart, that would have hurt, and vice versa. But afterward, my grandfather went to that man and put his arm around it and said, I don't want to be in a denomination without you, friend. Um, I think there's something like that going on here. They welcomed Paul and Barnabas into their midst despite the fact that they might have had disagreements, or that some of them had disagreements. Uh, and I think uh, we have to recognize that there are um, ways in which we should contend together for the faith. And I want to boil it down to one simple principle whenever we are fighting for the faith together. And this is, this is the thing. Charity. Don't assume or presume you know all the motives of an individual based on scant evidence. Don't write someone off just because you disagree on something, even if that something is very dear to you. Find common ground. Be humble. Remember that you don't have all knowledge and that you too are a sinner. Going back to principle one. Be willing and open to forgive. Or be forgiven. I summarize this as charity. They welcomed them, and they heard their joyous reports. Even if it was a risk raised, even if it raised an issue, contend, but contend with grace and humility. Well, the council comes together to debate. Now, we don't have a lot of the debate. In fact, we're really only given the charge against Paul and Barnabas and these Gentile believers, and the defenses of Peter and James in favor of Paul and Barnabas. And then a little note that Paul and Barnabas themselves shared what had gone on, the miraculous signs that God had done among the Gentiles. That's all we have here. Um, no doubt there were other voices um, and uh, as an aside, I, I thought I'd share one more little thing about Presbyterians. Uh, they're quirky. So you're about to, we're about to have a congregational meeting. You know, our favorite verse in Presbyterian circles is anybody know? All things should be done decently and in order. Um, that's Colossians. That's Corinthians. I mean, Corinthians fourteen forty. And anyway, at a Presbyterian meeting, we follow Robert's rules of order, which is, you know, what most civic bodies use as well. And so when it comes to debate, one of the things the moderator will often do is allow a back and forth. Those in favor of said thing, the next person that speaks, do we have somebody who would like to speak against? Okay, speak. All right, anybody want to speak in favor? Okay, so it goes back and forth. This is sort of following Robert's rules decently and in order. We don't have all that pictured here for us. Um, But the reality is that when certain voices in our Presbyterian, our Presbytery meets, when certain voices in Presbytery speak, they carry weight. Bryce just mentioned the retiring minister, Brad Evans. He is one of those voices. He speaks at Presbytery. Everyone listens. Carries weight. Other men are the same. Well, here... Peter and James carry weight. James, the brother of Jesus, later called James the Just, uh, it is likely that he was presiding over the body. Um, That he was sort of the moderator, if you will, of that body. Peter, of course, was in many ways the chief of apostles, the, the, the apostle to the Jews. He would have been in some ways seen as an ally of one side, even though he He was uh, on the side of Paul, but he would have been seen as a friend, right, of both those sides. Peter and James, of course, they uh, were apostles. Um, We know from... Paul's letter to Galatians that he and Peter were both pillars, it says in Galatians chapter 2, in the Jewish community and called to evangelize the circumcised while Paul went to the Gentiles. So you can kind of get a sense that Peter and James would have been voices that both sides would have listened to. They had, they carried weight. I don't think it's any coincidence that we don't hear what Paul and Barnabas had to say because, well, they're going to, of course they're going to defend what they've done and uh, so they were, they were carrying weight. Yet, and this is the most significant point, in the end it was not the reputation of Peter and James, but it was ultimately and finally argued from the Word of God. The thing that carried weight wasn't just because Peter and James were you know, prominent pillars in their community, but it was because the truth of Scripture was brought to bear." Peter makes an argument based on his own experience with Cornelius. It isn't quite obvious in the text, but it's there. Peter is making this argument. He's saying, how the Gentiles received the gift of the Holy Spirit, how he himself was called to to go and minister to them, and how they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember that passage that we looked at. Now it's been a a while, but but they looked at this... um, uh, uh, they, They were looking back at this point when he received a vision... Do you remember the vision of the unclean animals that God said, go and eat? And Peter looked at him like, God, you're crazy? But it it was a call to go to the Gentiles. And then as he went to the house of Cornelius and began to preach, what happens? The Holy Spirit got poured out on that household. Just like it had been done at Pentecost. In other words, in other words, he grounded His argument in the revelation of God. This is really fundamental. Finally, Peter concludes with the truth of the gospel. All are saved by grace, not by the yoke of the law. And Peter's argument silences the crowds. And James makes a similar argument. Uh, His pronouncement is maybe a little tougher to interpret. And again, we'll look at it next week in more detail. But it's grounded in the word of God. He quotes from Amos highlighting the fact that the Gentiles, too, are are called by name, that it's this covenantal language that the Gentiles... He has a people for Himself from the Gentiles that that are called by name. And again, he makes a similar argument. It says, don't put that yoke... He doesn't use that language. Uh, Instead, he says uh, these words. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God... Uh, don't put that yoke back on them again. The most significant thing to see here this is not James and Peter, but it's to see how the Word of God is the authority. It's the final say. So what is the significance in all of this? You're saying, Rob, I hear you, what you're saying, and what you're doing is you're coming back to this, it's just me and the Bible, because the Bible is the ultimate authority. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need the church. No, that's not what I said. The judgments concerning the interpretation of Scripture happen within the context of the body. God works through His church to preserve it, to promote it, to establish the gospel, to send it out. The ultimate arbiter is God's Word. And yes, there's a time to abandon the church when it abandons God's Word. But only after we have weighed seriously the judgment of the church. What the leaders and the elders have to say. We shouldn't take it lightly. I know this sounds very convenient for a pastor about to give a report for a congregational meeting. Um, listen to the elders, right? That's, that's, that's what we're saying. But it's a message for me too. I'm not the head of this church. Christ is. His word is my authority. He has ordained elders to govern and lead, of which I am only one. That's it. Well, in conclusion, and I do need to end here, let's contend together for the gospel, not only because we're human, not only because, uh, because of the truth that it's grounded in, but finally because it is life. It's life. One thing to note about this whole event is that it was an event at all. Some things are worth fighting for. Some things are worth contending for. Some things are not. (laughs) They're just not. For the apostles, this issue cut at the very heart of the gospel. They saw in the Pharisees and the Judaizers a deadly cancer, a yoke that they were trying to place back onto the people, a law which ultimately kills. And so as we think about what is worth fighting for, which hill to die on, it is this, the gospel. Because... It is through the free offer of the gospel that comes by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are set free. It's where we ought to, to, to fight every battle, that you cannot take that away from us. That we are set free because of what Christ has done by laying down His life and breaking the bondage of sin and death and the yoke of the law so that we are free. So let's contend together for that, for the gospel, because it is life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we confess that, that th- these ideas are, are hard. Uh, we don't like fighting. I don't like fighting. Help us not to fight one another, but to fight for what is true, right, and good. But let us do it in a way that we, uh, we encourage one another. That we humble ourselves before one another. That we listen to one another. And Lord, give us, give us wisdom to seek wise judgment and counsel. And Lord, be with the leaders that you have appointed, as weak as we are, to be faithful to the truth of your word. That we would be faithful in contending for that faith as well. Lord, we need your help in these things. Help us to see that this is life. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.